Welcome to a Whirly Bear Productions podcast with me, Amber Williams. We explore film finance and distribution, featuring insights from filmmakers, entertainment lawyers, and industry experts. Emily Best is a notable producer in the film industry and the dynamic and visionary CEO and founder of Seed and Spark, a unique platform designed to foster diversity, inclusivity, and connectivity in the entertainment industry. Seed and Spark empowers filmmakers with control over their creative work, allowing truly independent cinema to be produced. This platform serves as both a crowdfunding and production support tool for independent filmmakers. This interview gives insight into how to run a successful crowdfunding campaign and what keeps Emily motivated through the tough times. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me a bit about your professional journey and how you became the founder and CEO of Seed and Spark? Sure. I mean, I think it's sort of hard to know what the starting point really was. Um, But so as not to bore your listeners too much, I think the most important starting point was I found myself producing theater in New York City. And when I say theater, I mean like the downtown super indie kind (laughs) Um, uh, where we were building our own sets and we were struggling to pay the theater rent. um, And we were making, you know, weird, uh, immersive theater that felt really kind of dangerous and important, but the audiences were always kind of just white haired white people and bless them. They're keeping the theater alive. Thank God. But, uh, but it didn't feel like the message was really reaching outside of kind of the, um, the already converted. And so I found myself doing, um, producing a site specific run of Hedda Gabler, which for the non-theater nerds listening is a um, a Victorian era play, but it's quite feminist and it features this uh, really tough uh, woman central character named Hedda. And she is kind of like Hamlet for women. Like she's a character that every actress of a certain age really wants to play. Um, we had a very young Hedda and an actress named Caitlin Fitzgerald, who's now mostly doing theater in London these days. And she uh, was brilliant and incredible and dynamic and super fun to watch. And um, so at night she would come to the theater and she'd get to play this incredible part. (laughs) And during the day, she was being asked to audition exclusively for roles like pretty girl and pretty girlfriend and pretty best friend and hot best friend. Uh, And I remember that was, I mean, that was sort of embarrassingly late for me, but it was the summer of my feminist awakening when I was like, hang on, is that how the world sees us? (laughs) And and I started to look at all the movies that were coming out and I was like, yep, that's how the world sees us because that's how Hollywood shows us. And yeah. so that summer we decided we were going to make a movie that would have a wider reach. Um, Caitlin lied to me and said it would be easy because uh-huh. that summer she had been cast, to be perfectly fair, as like hot young fiance um, in an Ed Burns film that was the first film ever to be shot on the Canon 5D camera. So this is funny because like now we can shoot 4K on our phones. But prior to Canon putting a full frame sensor in their 5D photography camera, like a small photography, digital photography camera, 
Um, you couldn't shoot in 1080p. You couldn't even really shoot in 720 without like a big apparatus and a lot of stuff going on. Um, and uh, and so I went to visit, I'm putting quotes around this word set. It was like an apartment in Tribeca in New York City that belonged to a friend of Ed Burns. And I know his friends have nice apartments. Um, and it was him and a camera guy holding a teeny tiny camera and a sound guy with a boom. And that was it. And I was like, maybe it is easy to make a movie. <laughs> Except that then um, Caitlin and our friend Caroline would go on to write a really beautiful contemplative grief drama set outdoors in Maine in the summer. And like the first draft of the script was entirely written at Golden Hour. <laughs> it was like the opposite of a fast paced, uh, slice and dice, walkie talkie New York movie where you could get away with a handheld 5D camera. Um, you could not do that for giant sweeping out where, you know, the outdoors was a, was a, a character. And so I ended up producing a movie uh, at a, you know, a feature film as my first foray into film producing. Um, wow. And, uh, yeah, and luckily one of my best friends was graduating film school at NYU. So he, I was just basically auditing all of his classes vicariously um, and learning on the fly. Um, and I, I managed to link up with a really wonderful producer in Hollywood who had made like a lot of like mm, horror and thriller films, but he came to film very successful ones, but he came to them from um, from the legal side, from being a lawyer. So I was having this great kind of production education vicariously through NYU film school. I managed, I mean, that was really a good deal because I don't, I didn't carry the debt out of that. Um, and through this wonderful sort of like legal minded producer, um, and so for a first time film, we had a really tight chain of title and things that usually first time filmmakers forget about. So it was a really lucky experience. What we couldn't do very well was fundraise. Um, <clears throat> you know, Caitlin had been in this big movie called It's Complicated and she'd gotten a big fat uh, residuals check back when those were a thing and invested it into the film. And then we needed to close the gap. We had uh, a $20,000 budget gap. And we had this one window where we really needed to get to Maine to shoot the film. And um, we went around to like sales agents and distributors. We figured because her star was rising, maybe that would be compelling because this movie was so different from what was going up on screen. Maybe that would be compelling and nay, not so. What we heard from sales agents and distributors was there's no audience for a movie like this. Um, or very helpfully, if you could put some lesbian erotica in it, we could sell it. Wow. Um, yeah, okay. they said that to my face. Oh I remember that guy's socks because at that point, like I could not meet his eyes. Um, it was also clear to me, he did not mean lesbian erotica for lesbians, which like I could have gotten behind. No, no, yeah. <laughs> he meant, he meant, can you make, can you turn this movie into something men would want to watch? Cause then it would have value. That was the very clear and explicit message. Jesus. And so that was when I learned that there was a reason <laughs> that what was making it to the screen looked like it did, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so so we knew we had to turn to our audience. And this was a very specific moment in time, which was um, not only had Canon put the full frame sensor in the 5D camera, making us all sort of realize the possibilities of digital cinema, 
But we started to see the rise of platforms like Vimeo and a whole bunch of others that no longer exist, like Prescreen and Elevision. And we were starting to see that broadband was getting wide enough. We really could stream movies on the internet with regularity and reliability. Um, crowdfunding had arisen as an idea out of the ashes of the 2007-2008 financial crisis. Um, and social media was all of it. Facebook, Instagram, well, there was, I don't know, there wasn't even Instagram yet. Facebook and um, Twitter, RIP Twitter, um, were still on the open social graph, which meant when you posted something and your friends engaged with it, their friends also saw it. It's something that is still true and wonderful about LinkedIn, <laughs> um, but that's no longer true about the other platforms. It was before algorithms ruined everything. Um, and so, uh, so we were we were birthing our first feature film in this like wonderful moment in the creative economy when we felt like the the tools were all in our hands anyway. But our friends had heard of Kickstarter and Indiegogo, but their parents hadn't. And our friends were broke. So we were like, we're going to have to go to people in the community that we know have money. They're probably older than we are. And, uh, and they haven't heard of these newfangled platforms. So instead, we did something that felt really familiar, which is we built a wedding registry for our film. Um, and we made a list of all of the items we needed, the bug spray and the sunscreen and the camera rental and the lights and all that. Um, and we put the list on a WordPress, little cute WordPress website, and we made a really impassioned statement about why it was important for us to make this film. And then we posted this list on all of these open social graph platforms that we had access to with a little PayPal link in the bottom. And much to our surprise, it really reached out into the community. Um, 448 backers eventually contribute 23,000 in cash, but hundreds of thousands of dollars in loans and gifts of locations and goods and services. Wow. Um, like on beyond what we could ever conceivably have imagined. And that was the, the birthplace of Seed and Spark because, um, creators from all over the country started contacting me, asking me about how we did this thing and how did we make this wish list and what were the advantages of the wish list. And, um, and then those 448 people whose email addresses we had who had contributed to our campaign were all of a sudden very interesting to sales agents and distributors, right? Because of course, sales agents and distributors, their job is to go out and find sort of the true fans of a project that will then help amplify it um, for, whether it's a theatrical release or a digital release. Um, and so all of a sudden we started getting, you know, offers from sales agents and distributors. And I was looking at these offers and I was like, is this what the economics usually look like? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, this is not independent film. This is dependent film. And I don't want, I don't think I want a part of this. And I hope that there are alternatives. Um, yeah, so that was really the genesis of Stephen Spark. That was a beautiful story. I love that. Thank you very much. Thank you. So I spoke to a filmmaker last night who has the impression that you need a, to make a successful crowdfunding campaign. You need a team of people with marketing knowledge, putting multiple hours a day to push the campaign on social channels and to constantly be updating the campaign. Um, 
I just want to know how accurate this is and how many people it really takes. So can you paint us a picture of what it's really like to have a successful crowdfunding campaign? Yeah. Um, You absolutely need a team of people who are willing to um, do the work it takes to build and grow an audience. Um, but we don't expect you to know how to do that. We teach you how to do that. <laughs> so um, I think I think the the common misconception is that like crowdfunding sort of lives in a vacuum in your career. That like oh the, here's this whole other skill set that I need to build now in order to have a successful storytelling career. No, <laughs> crowdfunding is the same skill set that anyone needs to build any kind of successful storytelling career. You have to know who your audience is. You've got to know how they like to be spoken to. You've got to know how to connect with them directly. Um, and uh, and then you've got to be able to make a really good call to action when you need them, right? And, and, and be able to articulate why it is they need you. Um, so I think there's this, there's this idea that well, I'll tell you what it is. <laughs> um, if you want to build a sustainable career, you don't get the benefits of just getting picked. And while there are some creators who relatively early in their career make a really brilliant thing and then they get representation and they get, you know, a TV job, um, like 99.9% of us, that doesn't happen. And even for the 0.01% that that happens for, if you ask them, they were slaving away for 10 years before they made that brilliant thing that like got them the, that mm-hmm. job, right? So there's this there's this perception that like, it shouldn't be so hard for me. And I do think what crowdfunding actually takes is the humility to say, nobody's gonna do this for me. I don't, I'm not somehow so special that somebody is going to do this for me. I have to learn to do it myself if I want control over the sustainability of my career. And that's why when we came to market, when Seed and Spark came to market, we did it through educational workshops. I was in, uh, where, what, where, what city was I in? I have to look at my calendar. I was in Memphis. Uh, just last weekend, teaching the uh, crowdfunding to build independence workshop. Uh, I was in Nashville before that. Um, I, uh, I'm. We travel all over the country, and we have the workshops online, obviously, to ensure that people know how to build a team, talk to their audience, etc. But yeah, I mean, crowdfunding is as as grueling as production. So you have to think about it like a 30-day production with a month-long pre-production period. Absolutely, that's true. Um, What's the alternative? Waiting to get picked? Mm. I mean, the truth is, like, unless you come from money and you come from people who are generous with that money, um, it takes a long time to do literally any kind of fundraising. And fundraising from investors does not give you the benefit of growing an audience that's going to talk about you. It does not give you the benefit of letting the world know this project is coming. It does not give you the benefit of building the kind of momentum that a project needs to have successful distribution. So in my view, um, 
there's a, you know, there's a reason I'm 11 years in on this. Like I, I have seen what crowdfunding can do for people. I was at Sundance last year and this group of young women who had a really wonderful project on Seed and Spark, I was meeting them for the first time and I shook their hand and she grabbed me and she pulled me really close. And she says, you don't understand because of the successful crowdfunding campaign, this woman found us and was so excited about the story. She wrote us the, I think it was a several hundred thousand dollar check wow. to complete to complete their budget and make the like the film inside the um uh like the the culture of plenty that they were really hoping for um those are things that crowdfunding can can do for you and can accelerate um so yeah yeah it takes all of that and more you're building a career you're running a company of course it does um, but I don't think that's cause for fear necessarily. I know it's daunting, right? Like as somebody who started a company from a crowdfunding campaign, like I'm deeply, profoundly and personally aware, like it takes work. But like, did you not think it would take work to make a movie? Of course it takes work. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've articulated that really well. And um, it's great to be able to have the opportunity to take the power back into your own hands in this industry. Yes especially right now at this time. Um, what kind of tools do you have available kind of on the website that people can use to learn more about marketing and how to run their own campaign? Um, we have our workshop and we have a gazillion blogs that break down every single thing into detail, right? So um, we'll break down not only sort of the best practices for each individual component of your campaign, but also how to build a killer marketing marketing uh, plan, how to crowdfund if all your friends are broke, um, uh, how to um, navigate times of, of like social challenges, right? Like we live in a world where there's honestly horrifying breaking news almost every single day. And the truth is this is when artists have to get to work so we have to find a way to move forward with sensitivity and accountability in these times. But um, but actually we're seeing greater numbers in fundraising than we ever have in previous years, because I think artists really understand how necessary they are right now. It's not a difficult time to articulate to an audience why meaningful stories need to be told. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, on our website, on the blog, you can find pretty much anything you can imagine. And um, as you move through the submission process on Seed and Spark, we surface these things for you. Okay. Is there a particular genre of film that performs best using the crowdfunding method? Do you notice? No. no. Um, I think generally dramas are harder all around, <laughs> right? Um, and what we find on um, on across all crowdfunding platforms is it's really important that you demonstrate to the audience you can make them feel something very early in the pitch video. If it's a comedy, got to make them laugh. If it's a drama, tug at my heartstrings. Um, if it's uh, you know if it's a social impact documentary, I want to understand in the first thirty seconds like what what is the area of impact. Um, Crowdfunding just really asks you to hone your storytelling skill 
um, with a, a great amount of creativity. It's really like a storytelling platform like any other social media platform. And it's um it's something that I think filmmakers are actually especially good at because the the convention of crowdfunding, of course, is the pitch video. Um, and so that pitch video is really a place to flex your your storytelling muscles. And no, I can't tell you that there's a single genre that tends to do particularly well. Um, if you if you make a great pitch video, man, you can raise for anything. I've seen really successful crowdfunding campaigns for like experimental art uh, because the creator just really um, nabbed the audience right up front in the pitch video and made us really excited to see what they could do next. Okay. I think that's a really good point to match the video with the tone of the film. Um, and I first... will also say you can get away with swapping genres in your pitch videos. I've seen comedic pitch videos for dramatic films because people really respect that, for example, like your crowd, a crowdfunding campaign might reach you in the middle of your workday when like you're not really looking for a downer, but you could be, so you could be really compelled by the pitch video and then also store in the back of your mind, like, oh, I'm going to watch this sort of more dramatic film later when it comes out. Um, so it doesn't have to match one-to-one. -one. It just has to make the audience feel something. Do you notice that more short films versus feature films get funded at all? Um, short films have a wildly high campaign success rate on Seed and Spark, like a 93% campaign success rate. That's fantastic. Um, and that's, you know, obviously because they tend to be raising less money. Um, uh, but... Yeah, feature films have, I think, a 70 or 72% campaign success rate, um, which is still extraordinarily high. Um, and I think sometimes it just has to do with like an energy level, right? Especially if you're racing uh, for post-production for a feature, you're already pretty tired, right? And so it's really a matter of kind of like knowing how to keep up the energy when they say it's a marathon, not a sprint. Boy, do they mean that about filmmaking. And what kind of assets are people uploading and how many crew members generally do they have in the video? Oh, I mean, from a crew perspective, it could be anything and it can be all over the place. Um, uh, so I don't have like a, like a, sort of a single answer in terms of assets like every crowdfunding uh, platform I think that people are very used to the video their incentives um, generally building out as visual a story as you can um, and I think that well my personal opinion and uh, this is how I operate is when I am making a project, I let everyone, if, if I'm producing, I let everyone on the project know that we will be crowdfunding and there's an expectation that everybody will be willing to participate in the crowdfunding campaign. Because a really successful crowdfunding campaign, building a big audience for the film benefits everyone's career. And so if they're like, mm, no, I don't want to participate in that. Well, that says like, you're not here for the benefit of everyone. Um, and uh, that participation could just be like, I'm going to share it with my networks. It could be, you know, I'll help you make the video or whatever. It doesn't have to be 
Um, I'm going to write to my, you know, family for cash, right? But but an expectation that we will all be part of the energy to move it forward is a part of how I build it out. So I tend to end up with like all my cast and crew on the campaign. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. I've thought about that before. It is a collaborative um, art yeah. anyway, and it is part of a community. So you should be all jumping on board. I think that's a great tip, a really good idea. Ideally, how often do filmmakers need to add content to their campaign? Is it a daily? Are they uploading content daily to their sites? Um, usually they're uploading content to their social media daily. And I think that updates, the sort of optimal update is twice a week. Um, some people do them weekly. Um, I will tell you that nearly 100% of failed campaigns have no updates, right? So you can take that for what it's worth. Yeah, that's understandable. It's not really giving a great impression, is it? That your heart's well, not really in it. Yeah, I mean, I think people still have this idea and it's because I think some crowdfunding platforms have sold themselves as like the platform has the funders. And I think that's just uh, contributing to the culture of dependency that we've seen, you know, throughout the entertainment business. Um, and it's just not true, right? Like, especially, I think Seed and Spark is specifically sort of tailored towards storytellers who really feel like they're telling stories that haven't been told before, which means nobody can guarantee you that they know who the audience is for that uh, piece of work. And so um, we really take it upon ourselves to empower the creators to be able to identify and communicate to their audiences. And that way their success on the platform belongs to them. It doesn't belong to us, right? Yes, we have people on the platform who fund stuff. That's not what's important. What's important is that you develop the skills to build a relationship to your audience that will fortify your career for the rest of your life. That's what we wanna leave you with. That's more important than money. That money's important, don't get me wrong. Like it really helps to get your work made. But um, but it's a really hard way to get money. Uh, and so having the extra benefits that it comes with, I think are really important. Yeah, I agree. That's fantastic to be able to build up your skills like that. Uh, what future plans do you, have for, do you have for Seed and Spark? I mean, the most exciting thing that we've uh, been doing over the past couple of years that we're continuing to foster and grow is called the Patron Circle. Um, that is uh, a little uh, sidecar nonprofit grant fund that sits alongside the platform. Um, and the money in that grant fund comes from really successful creative people like Mark Duplass and uh, who else has been a patron? Um, Emily V. Gordon and Kumail Nanjani. Um, uh, um, Jason Reitman, the steward of all of the uh, Ghostbuster franchises, Alex Kurtzman, the steward of all the Star Trek franchises, um, these really, really incredible creators who um, contribute funding because the storytellers on Seed and Spark are among the most demographically and geographically diverse. But more importantly, their storytelling perspectives are, are the most diverse. And so um, they really want to help accelerate all of these different incredible new storytelling lenses. Um, and 
creators, we didn't want them to have to write yet another grant. So the patrons tell us kind of what kinds of stories they want to direct their funding to. And as people launch campaigns, um, we will just locate them and distribute the grants. So you might get uh, a, an email one day that says, hey, you're getting a $1,000 um, patron circle grant. They're not huge grants. They don't take over the entirety of the campaign, um, but they are accelerants to the capital. So what we see is um, on average between 11 and 15 times the grant amount is what the creators will raise. That's really exciting. Yeah, That's super fantastic. cool. Yeah, that is. Um, so I know you said that a crowdfunding campaign is about sparking um, or showing emotion and getting people excited about the stories that you're telling. Yeah. I'm wondering, is there any sort of trends within the stories that are being chosen in terms of what's popular within the zeitgeist at the moment? Um, I tend to think that the storytellers on Seed and Spark are leading the conversation. They're not following the conversation. So um, I would say long before mental health seemed to become a national priority. We were seeing lots of stories about mental health on Seed and Spark. Long before the loss of our reproductive rights here in the US, uh, we were seeing incredible stories about um, abortion rights and abortion access on the platform. So I, I think the kinds of storytellers we're seeing at Seed and Spark are, are, are leaders rather than followers of the zeitgeist. Um, at least that's been my impression over the years is I'll see stuff and think, wow, I haven't even thought about that. And sure enough, you know, within the next calendar year, it's the central, uh, you know, sort of like the center of the zeitgeist, a big part of the news story. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's what kind of makes creators special is they, they, they're very sensitive to the vibrations of the world and they tend to kind of see the future a little bit. That's yeah. why we need them. Absolutely, definitely. Um, I can see you're very passionate. You must be extremely proud of what you've built. Um, yeah, thanks for saying that. I am. I mean, I, it's not me alone, right? Like we've built this over the years with an incredible team um, and and in partnership with our creators and in partnership, honestly, with hundreds of arts organizations across the country and across the world who, you know, invited us to teach our workshops to their communities and um, spread the word about Seed and Spark and built partnerships when we were a little nobody. So I, I certainly, I am super proud. And also that <clears throat> um, I've really only been one small part of this. It takes a lot to start something like that and to keep the momentum going as well. What do you think has been the key to that within yourself, to being an entrepreneur and pushing oh, through with, the hard times? Yeah, it's not within me. It's the community. The key to the to all of it, to the sustainability is the community. Um, you know, I I didn't realize. So prior to the pandemic, I was traveling when, well, when I first started the company, I was going to almost 50 cities a year, teaching these workshops and building partnerships and being in community with creators. 
And then I started having kids. And so I was only going to like 20 cities a year. It was pretty grueling anyway. Um, and uh, when the pandemic hit and all of that stopped, I started to get very, very sad and lonely. And it took me a long time to realize how much the opportunity to go be in community with creators was my wellspring of energy for this work. And since uh, since late last year, we've been, um, you know, cautiously attending some events in person and it has like given me my life force back, right? Like being in community with artists is the thing that makes me feel the most happy, capable and myself. Um, because I just get so inspired by what people are working on. You know, you just like you just meet a random person in Memphis, Tennessee, who tells you about a thing they're working on that changes your perspective on life. It's just really exciting. That's beautiful. <laughs> really lovely. Um, is there anything that you'd like to add that you think it's important for filmmakers to know or crowdfunders in general? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I like to underline that, you know, um, it's something that um, one of our, our great supporters, Mark Duplass, is known for saying, which is like the cavalry is not coming. Um, there's 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 nobody coming to save us. And I think this last year of the Hollywood labor movement has really demonstrated that the institutions are downright hostile to us. Mm. And we have an opportunity, we have all the tools at our fingertips to really work together and control how we show up as creators in the world. And it does take a lot of hard work and it takes a lot of trade-offs that we have to make. Um, but I do think that we find our strength and our power in our own community, not by getting picked by, you know, these institutions from on high. Um, yeah, and I, for one, am, you know, am committed to spending my days making sure creators have those tools and understand how to use them. Yeah, I love that. That's what the podcast aims to do is give back the power to the creators so that's wonderful that's, that's perfect yeah well you've been very inspiring so thank you very much for coming thank on the show yeah that's going to be very insightful for the listeners so really appreciate it and Thanks i mean for that, having me yes thank you thank you very much if you're enjoying this content and you're finding it valuable please subscribe to our patreon page without your contribution the podcast will come to an end you can find the link through our website, Productions forward slash podcast, or our Instagram page, Film Finance Podcast, and follow the link in the bio. Thanks for listening.